Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Through faith in Christ, we're born again. Remember, we're made alive. We were dead. We're born again. Now we have a new nature. And here's what happens. If you try to keep living the old lifestyle, you're going to find that there's a conflict. Wait, this doesn't feel right. This, I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this. What does that mean? That means that there's a new nature there. And the new nature is crying out for new behavior, for a new lifestyle. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching with an overview of Ephesians in a message titled, The Wealth, Walk, and Warfare of the Believer. Now, here's Pastor Brian. We've been brought into the family. And that is such a wonderful thing to know that we are now members of God's household. When we read the Bible and we read about, you know, the history of the children of Israel, or we go back further and we read about the patriarchs and these people, you know what? Those are our relatives. Those are our family members. We're connected with them. And, you know, the more you get into your Bible and become familiar with it, you will find as time goes on, you start to, you, you really start to sense that, you know, you're reading about your family members, you're reading your, about your ancestors and, and you connect with them and you, you feel that connection. I was at a memorial service yesterday for a young man, 21 years old, the son of a pastor, died in a car accident, precious kid amazing kid. And, you know, as we sat there through the service, um, they had a beautiful video presentation of his life and, you know, watching him as a little boy. And he loved the Bible stories and he liked to dress up like Bible characters and superheroes and all of that. And uh, it was so sweet. And then at one point, one of the persons who was giving the eulogy, uh, they just happened to mention that, you know, of course, he's in heaven. He trusted in Jesus and they said, and you know, I'm sure he's, he's connecting with those heroes, David and Samson and, you know, the different people that as a young kid, you know, he really, he identified with them. And as, as he said that, I thought, you know, that's probably just exactly what's happening right now, because that's a reality. Members of God's family, members of God's household, we've been brought in. So all of these things, this is part of the wealth that the apostle says. And then he comes to the climactic uh, conclusion of this first section on the wealth of the Christian. And this is how he closes it out. He tells us that we are loved with a love that transcends knowledge. We are loved. We are, we are more loved than we can ever imagine. Did you know that? You are more loved than your mind could ever comprehend. How is it that we think so little of the love of God? How is it that we could think of God's love as being so small sometimes? We think of it so small as to, you know, it probably didn't survive this, this moment of sin or weakness that I had. No, it survives it. I love that passage in, I think it's Ecclesiastes, where it says love is stronger than death. And man, again, how, how much does God love us? Well, he loved us enough to send his most beloved son to die for us. 
So it's a love that transcends knowledge. It's a love that we can't even comprehend. You ever been loved by somebody? Deeply loved by somebody? Well, think of this. The deepest love you could ever experience on a human level has no comparison to the love that God has for us. It's a love that transcends knowledge. And, and because it's a love that transcends knowledge, Paul finalizes everything by saying that this God who loves us with a knowledge that we can't comprehend is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or even imagine. Isn't that amazing? God can do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or ever imagine. And that's how Paul sort of brings the, the, the wealth section of the epistle to a conclusion. But as I said, this is the first three chapters. So listen, for quite a while in the, in the days ahead, we're going to be just basking in the goodness of God. We're going to be basking in the love of God. And we are going to find out more and more about what these things mean and the details of them. And we just sort of skimmed these three chapters. There's much that was left out. We couldn't go into detail even on the things that we spoke of. So we're going to sit and soak in the riches that we have in Christ. And so when we come to the next section that deals with our walk, it's going to be so obvious that, of course, this is how we walk because of what God has done for us. And as we're growing in our understanding of this immense wealth in Christ, that will be the impetus for us to walk worthy of the calling. And that's where Paul begins the walk section. He says, walk, therefore, worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now, the word walk is, um, it's a synonym for a lifestyle. So our lifestyle is to be a lifestyle that is worthy of the calling. You know, in uh, royal families, in, in monarchies, uh, depending on the time in history, and of course there have been plenty of uh, evil monarchies, but you know, when you have a, a fairly decent monarchy, there's always this expectation for the family, the royal family. There's an expectation for them to behave a certain way. There's something that is becoming of royalty, and there are things that are unbecoming. So, you know, kids are brought up, and they're given all of the proper training to speak properly, and they're taught proper etiquette, and they're educated classically, and, you know, all of these different things. So they will stand out as, wow, this is part of the royal family. And then when it, occasionally the royal family is not behaving so well, and it it's out in the papers that Prince so-and-so did this or that. And, you know, Princess What's-Her-Name, she, oh boy, she's in all kinds of trouble. People don't expect that. It's like, wait, that's the royal family. They're supposed to behave better than that. Well, listen, we're the royal family. We're God's family. So people have an expectation that we would behave in a certain way. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. We call ourselves the children of God, then we ought to behave like that. We say that we are sons and daughters of God, well, then we ought to have similar uh, traits to our heavenly Father. That's what Paul is saying. So we're to walk worthy of the calling. And then in contrast, he says, no longer walking as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. So that's how he describes the way 
the, the Gentiles walk, the unbelievers. They walk in the futility of their mind. In other words, the guiding principle in their life is, originates in their own mind, their own corrupted mind. So in other words, every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. Every man then individually becomes the, the one to determine what the right or wrong course is. It's relativism. It's just, you know, you have an opinion about what's right and that's right for you. Uh, this other person has a different opinion and that's right for them. And uh, that's the way the Gentiles walked in Paul's day. And that's the way the unbelievers conduct themselves today. And of course, this is the way we all lived before we came to know Christ and submit ourselves to the authority of his word, right? We just did what we thought was right. When I meet people today and they say things, you know, that now to me sound outlandish, you know, like they, the certain things that they think are right or they don't have a problem with, you know, one thing that is helpful is for me that I used to be there. So I get it. Yeah, I, I know why you think like that because I used to think like that too. Hey, you know, live and let live doesn't bother me. didn't hurt me. Go ahead, do what you want. That's living according to the futility of the mind. The mind becomes the final authority. But we know that there's an authority that transcends that. It's God's mind. It's God's heart. And that's revealed in God's word. And so we're not to walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of our minds. But we are to walk according to God's word. Paul would go on to say that we're to walk in love. We're to walk as children of light. We're to walk circumspectly. We're to be wise and not foolish. Those are all of the things that he will challenge us with as we go through that portion of the scripture. You know, the amazing thing, and for many of you, you would already know this, but, you know, we hear so often about how the Bible is outdated, old-fashioned, out of touch. It can't be depended on because, you know, it's archaic. And, um, you know, we know today that, you know, things are different and, and so forth. And you hear people say that. And, you know, every time I hear somebody say that, you know what I know? First of all, I know they have never really read the Bible. Because, you know, when you read the Bible, that is not the impression you get. When you read the Bible, the impression you get is like, wow, this book is very contemporary. This book is kind of describing the stuff that <laughs> I'm living in. This book is describing everything that I see going on around me. This book is describing the culture as we're experiencing it today. And, and in these chapters, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, verse 9, Paul is going to give a description as he's instructing us on how to live and how not to live. He's going to be giving a description of the way people were living and showing us, no, this is not the way. And you know what you're going to find? It's like, wow, this is the way we live today. This is the way that I've been living. So it's very current. There's nothing outdated about the scriptures at all. They are very, very relevant because man is essentially the same from generation to generation. Our changes are surface changes. But in our hearts, we're the same, and we have the same problems and the same issues that just repeat themselves over and over again in the cycle of history. So all of this, walking in love, walking as children of light, walking circumspectly, making sure we were aware of 
the times and in relation to the kingdom of God and so forth. Those are the things that we're told in the, the portion of walking. But then he comes to the final section. And this is where Paul speaks of something that the Bible talks about, but it's here in Ephesians 6 that there's more, in some ways, there's more information given than in any other portion of scripture. Or more instruction is probably the better way to put it. But it's on the subject of warfare. Warfare. You say, well, what is warfare? Well, we're talking about spiritual warfare. And Paul spells it out in the sixth chapter. He says this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against a host of wicked spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God. So it's here in this epistle that we're going to learn about this very important subject of spiritual warfare. You see, because the world is not what it appears to be. We only see the material aspect, but there's a spiritual world that coexists within our material world. And to a large degree, the world that we live in is controlled by invisible forces. That's the truth. That's the biblical picture of reality. Now, when it comes to the devil, that's what we're talking about here. When it comes to the devil, oftentimes in the church, you have, you have two extremes and you, you very rarely find the balance. And the extremes are you've got one group that pretty much just dismiss the idea of the devil. Uh, some more, more liberal would say, well, you know, that's just pure superstition uh, the early Christians lived in a, a culture where they thought there were demons and stuff, so the apostles sort of accommodated them. Uh, but these things aren't, you know, they're not a reality, and so you don't have to pay any attention to this. That's, that's kind of a, you know, more liberal position. There are people that are more conservative theologically who wouldn't say that, but on a practical level, it would pretty much be about the same because they just would say, well, you know, yeah, there's a devil, but he doesn't really do anything. We'll never have an encounter with him. We will never be bothered by him. He, he kind of does other things, whatever they are. So that's one extreme. The other extreme is that the devil is the one who is, um, he's doing everything. And the devil made me do it. And the devil caused this and the devil caused that. And, you know, just that obsessive kind of a thing where, just seeing a, a, a demon, you know, behind every tree and under every rock. And, um, you know, there's more, in these cases, there's more emphasis and focus on, on Satan and demons than there is on God and the spirit of God. So these are two extremes. The Bible, of course, gives us the perfect balance. There is a devil. He's real. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The battle that we're in is really not against our fellow human beings primarily. It's against the forces of darkness behind the scenes that are, that are quite often controlling people's lives. And since the battle is really a spiritual battle, we have got to be equipped with spiritual weapons. And so put on the full armor of God. And here Paul gives us detailed instruction 
on the armor of God, the various pieces of the armor of God, and we're exhorted to put on that armor that we can both withstand and also stand on the evil day. So this is the overview of this epistle. These are the things that we are going to be covering over the next several months in much more detail than we have today. And through doing this, I am confident that God is going to greatly strengthen our faith. You see, I need to know these things. I need to know about the great riches I have in Christ. I need to know how to walk and please God. I need to understand that I'm in a spiritual battle. I remember as a young Christian, you know, I got saved. I was jumped in and just started following the Lord and serving the Lord and everything was great. And I was filled with joy and excitement and energy. And, and then suddenly something happened. I don't know what it was. It was just, you know, kind of a heaviness came on me and sort of a depression. And, and I just felt defeated. And I, I was wondering to myself, what happened? And one night I was having a conversation with a person who had been a Christian for a longer time than I had. And, and in the course of the conversation, the person mentioned spiritual warfare. And I said, well, what's that? And he told me, and I said, wow, that's, that's what I'm going through. I understood at that point. And just knowing that that's what was happening was tremendously beneficial in helping me, you know, move toward a victory over the enemy. So these are all of the things that we're going to be focusing on. So as we close today, let me say this in closing. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, you are the possessor of incalculable spiritual wealth. You are spiritually a multi-billionaire. Do you realize that? You know, there are, there have been, <laughs> there have been cases in history where people have been heir to, uh, you know, massive amounts of, of wealth and so forth. But they, for some reason, they didn't know about it or they, they didn't access it or whatever. And, and those were always, you know, unfortunate and, and, you know, somewhat tragic. It's like, well, this, this person had all of this, but they never really understood it and they never uh, appropriated it. And we can be the same way. So here's what we need to know. We need to know how rich we are. And then... We need to take those riches and apply them to the things that God wants them to be applied to. So we are the possessors of inestimable wealth. You are also possessed as a believer in Jesus Christ of a new nature that calls for a new lifestyle. We're possessed of a new nature. Through faith in Christ, we're born again. Remember, we're made alive. We were dead. We're born again. Now we have a new nature. And here's what happens. If you try to keep living the old lifestyle, you're going to find that there's a conflict. Wait, this doesn't feel right. This, I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this. What does that mean? That means that there's, there's a new nature there. And the new nature is, is crying out for new behavior, for a new lifestyle. Finally, because of your new status as a child of God, you are a threat to the powers of darkness 
and are therefore subject to spiritual attack and need know how need to know how to stand against the wiles of the devil. And these are the things that we'll learn in the weeks and in the months ahead. But that's a reality. Because you're a child of God, you become a target of the enemy. And you have to recognize that. And you have to pre- prepare yourself for those assaults. You know, I don't want to get weird or, you know, <laughs> scary or any of that with, with this. And there's no, no, need, no need to be. But... You know, this is, this is a real thing. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. And what you're going to discover is that you've engaged a lot more in it than you've ever realized because so many things that you have not understood or thought were maybe something else, you're going to find out in the course of time that, wow, that was a satanic attack. So, so this is, you know, this is something that's so important. So these three things, but let, let me say this as well, because Although I'm sure that most everyone in here is a believer, it's possible that there are some with us today or at least some listening on the internet or, or the radio or whatever that, that maybe you're not in a right relationship with Christ. Maybe you've never been there. And maybe you were there and you've drifted away from that. But here's the reality for those who are not believers in Jesus or not following Jesus, far from being spiritually rich beyond comprehension, you are spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing in your account. When God looks at your account, there's nothing there. You've got a massive debt and you've got nothing to pay it with. It's like uh, King Belshazzar back in Babylon. The day of, of reckoning came for him and it was said by the Lord himself through the prophet Daniel, you've been weighed in the balance and you have been found wanting. You got nothing in your account. You're spiritually bankrupt. Instead of, instead of walking in the light and instead of walking in love and, and those things, your, your lifestyle is, is, as we talked about earlier, you, you're walking as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of your mind. It's all, you know, well, I think this and I feel that and that's why I'm doing this. And, and, but all of that's wrong and it's all leading in the wrong direction. It's leading ultimately to destruction. And then finally, if you're not a believer, if you're not in Christ, you're not merely being attacked by the devil. You are the possession of the devil. The devil owns you. He holds you captive. The Bible says that that the whole world lies in the grip of the evil one. And there's only one way to be released from that captivity, and that's by one greater than Satan. That's Jesus who overthrew the strong man, and he can divide the spoil and set you free. So as we close today, if you've not received Christ, or if maybe you did at a certain time in life, but you haven't walked with him and followed him, today's the day. Here's the opportunity for you to reconnect with him and to enter into these great riches. And to become again, uh, or for the very first time, a recipient experientially of that transcendent love that God has, that great love that goes beyond our ability to understand. And you can start experiencing that great wealth, and God will put you on a new course, change your lifestyle, take you off the course of destruction and put you on the path of life and bless you. And he will become your shield and your protection. And the devil will no longer be able to hold you in his grasp, but God will put you in his hand and no one can snatch you from that. So take advantage of 
that opportunity today as it comes. For the month of October, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility by Ray Ortland. Gender identity, same-sex marriage, and women empowerment are among the biggest social issues of our time. But there's also a worldwide injustice of slavery that has found its way into our homes and into our pockets. The slavery of pornography. Multitudes of men and women today are in bondage and enslaved to pornography. So how can men and women be liberated? Well, in his book, The Death of Porn, Ray Ortland shares wise and biblical advice as a father to a son, reminding us of our royal identity because of our relationship with God through Christ. To learn about how the bondage of pornography can be broken, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility by Ray Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.